Hello, Internet, and anyone listening, it's me, Angelique, and I'm back for another amazing episode of Read Your Heart Out. This is episode 17, and once again, I know it's been a while, but I am back because I felt the call to come speak to you guys about, no surprise, another old book. This one was published, the full volume, was published in 1867. It came out in separate installments in 1866, but finally all together in 1867. And instead of doing a French book or a British book with names and places that I am terrible at pronouncing, I decided to make it even harder on myself and do a Russian book with names and places that I have trouble pronouncing. Um, This one is of the 52 books I ended up reading last year my top six maybe even my number one of those six honestly it was so amazing and left such an impact on me that I just really couldn't let it go and because of that I felt like I had to come and talk to you guys especially since it really has been way too long so today we are going to talk about the absolute classic tale called Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky I know people have been feeling some type of way about Russia, but again, this man wrote this book in 1867, so I don't think it has anything to do with us at the current moment, and I don't have any issue with talking about Russian literature because I'm not weird. So we're going to talk about Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. It's probably going to be a bit of a long one because the book is a bit meaty, and also I want to get it right, so I'm really going to take my time, especially with pronunciations, but stay tuned. All right, so our story's driver is a 23-year-old man named Rodion Ramonovich Raskolnikov, and we find him living a very unfulfilling existence in the city of St. Petersburg, Russia. He has a room that he can barely afford to rent. He has a law school career that is a failure and pretty much haunting his past. And because of this, Raskolnikov is wallowing hard as fuck and decides that his life as of right now, is pretty much worth nothing and just kind of gives up on trying to support himself in any way, whether that be financial or social or what have you. He's isolated, he's antisocial, and he has concocted this get-rich-quick scheme that may or may not involve capital M murder. And by may not, I mean it most definitely does. Raskolnikov plans to rob and murder an old pawnbroker woman who keeps all her valuables locked up in her house. So to carry out this plan, he goes to the pawnbroker's apartment and he acts as if he's there to pawn a watch. And so Raskolnikov goes, he gets to the apartment, he gets all the way up there and in the moment, He just can't actually take the plunge and commit the crime. He kind of just pretty much completely chickens out, tail between his legs, he's out of there. He leaves and does the obvious next thing that there is to do and goes to a tavern. Now, let's talk about Mr. Rodion Raskolnikov because he's an extremely individualistic and introspective character, probably one of the more introspective characters I've ever read in literature. He is thinking, dissecting, processing, and overanalyzing literally everything around him at all times. And he's got this worldview, which is, it's so bizarre because he's on one hand, extremely nihilistic. Like he thinks that there's no point to doing anything and that all the machinations of the world are made against him and other people like him and that there's no point of even trying. But then in the same token, he has this weird like 
drive for more inside of him and like I can just work to get to where I want to go and that there is good in the world all this kind of stuff so like right away there's this duality taking up space inside of uh, Raskolnikov's head and it creates some pretty perverse ideals to take root and bloom inside of his brain and by this I mean that while he is living a squalor type life like he's broke and he's a college dropout and he has like nothing to his name and no status or accomplishments he fancies himself as an extremely intelligent guy who just kind of gets shit on by all the institutions and social norms of the time so think like extreme far right-wing incel nightmare and that's the sauce that's cooking in our boy Rodian's head so he's got a lot going on and while he is drinking at a local tavern to you know drink away his cowardice and his his inability to commit murder um he meets and sort of befriends a man named Semyon Zakharovich Marmeladov Marmeladov is his old drunk buffoon really and he just very recently squandered his entire family's meager wealth doing you know the typical deadbeat drunkard bullshit that always happens with people um he's fucked over his family so royally that his teenage daughter Sonia has had to resort to selling her body in order to support the family so right now Marmeladov is just dumping his shit like dumping trauma dumping to the high heavens all over Rodian Raskolnikov and Rodian being the very introspective person that he is and this kind of deep thinker slash feeler that he you know fancies himself this story really sticks with Rodian like the idea of sorry y'all I just had to lay down the law on my dog right there but anyway the idea that this teenage girl would have to give up her like bodily autonomy just to take care of her family because of the mistakes and follies of the father is just something that he cannot shake and this kind of only gets exasperated when he gets a letter the next day from his mother that just straight up dumps like a fucking gallon of gasoline on the bonfire of anger and hatred that are burning inside of Rodian at this point the letter details the woes of Rodian's sister, Donya, who is being pursued by her employer. His name is um, Arkady Ivanovich Svridigelov. Svridigelov is, she's a governess, so he's like the person, her boss or whatever, and he wants her, wants to marry her, I don't know, whatever, he wants her, and she does not want him. So to kind of kill two birds with one stone to one escapes for the gay loves creepy gross weirdoness and to provide for her family who is financially destitute pretty much donia decides that she's going to marry a man named piotr petrovich luzin and he is a rich lawyer who has stated ugh, that he wants to marry a poor woman so that she it will be like a hundred percent attached and indebted to him in like every way shape and form so a really shitty reason to get married and also probably not something you'd want to hear for a man that wants to marry your sister so getting this letter in the mail Raskolnikov he has that story of Sonia in the back of his head be having to sell her body for her family and all of a sudden his sister Donia I know the names are very similar but bear with me Donia his sister She's pretty much selling her 
life away to marry this guy to do the same exact thing, to take care of her family and to like provide stability for the family. So that letter hits so close to home for Rodian that he kind of just goes nuts. He's Now he's going on a tailspin of helpless and intrusive thoughts and that earlier idea of killing and stealing from the pawnbroker in order to sell off her valuables and make a bunch of money starts to sound better and better and better. It's practically as if the universe is telling him to do it. Like it must be the people around him and the system he lives under are all compelling him to remove this meager obstacle in the pathway to greatness. Because really, what could this decrepit old pawnbroker do with all that money? Nothing. Just poured it for herself while he Rodion Raskolnikov would use that money for good to help his family and to protect his sister and to make himself like a bigger and better person. This is a theme that carries majorly in the big beginning parts of our book where Rodion thinks that a minor like crime or a sin of some kind can be forgiven and justified if it means that a man can move on and do great things with it. So like in his head, committing murder is, you know, the most awful sin we could do. But if he uses what he gains from the murder to make himself and the world around him better, then it justifies the murder, which is completely fucking false. But again, he's got a fucking soup of insanity bubbling up in his brain right now. So that's where he's at. And he finally gathers up enough courage to do what he could not do the first time. So he steals an axe and he makes his miserable way to the pawnbroker's apartment. He's retracing the same steps using the same tactic as the last time where he pretends like he's there to pawn off something and all this kind of stuff. And he makes it all the way in up to the apartment and finally somehow finds the strength to, de to deal the killing blow. Unfortunately for him, he didn't take into account that the pawnbroker's half-sister was staying with her at the time and that she pretty much walks in as the murder is being committed, like kind of just immediately after it happens. So Rodian's like, oh shit, okay. And he has no choice but to add collateral damage and kills the, the half-sister as well. So holy crap, Rodian is essentially a man of big talk and little action so to actually kill the pawnbroker and also kill her half-sister has him completely losing his shit like he he can think of things all day in his head you know like he's got these ideas spinning but to actually murder these women with an axe and then like now what? He's just like standing in this apartment with these two dead women everywhere he's so frazzled he just grabs like a handful of valuables and books it as he's walking out, like trying to head out of the apartment, he barely makes it out because people heard like a ruckus and they kind of came up to look. And so he like hides in this empty apartment while people go up the stairs to the new one and then like dips out right after them. So like by the skin of this guy's motherfucking teeth, he makes it out of this apartment and books it back to the safety of his room. And that concludes part one of our novel. Um, at this point, he has murdered two people and he's stolen like three things because he was so fucked up from the murder that he just like grabbed whatever he could and booked it out of there without really thinking of it. And so now he is back in his apartment and having to deal with the aftermath of that fatal blow. Okay, so part two begins with 
uh, practically delirious Rodian, who had managed to stash away the meager goods he'd stolen from the now-murdered old pawnbroker woman, and then promptly passes the fuck out, because obviously he went through a very major ordeal. The next day, it just keeps getting worse, because he wakes up to a police summons in his name, and just starts to shit absolute bricks, pushing his semi-mad brain one step closer to going fully fucking mad. So he goes to the police station, and once he's there, he learns that the summons was merely just a debt notice from his landlady, so whew, something he can obviously just avoid very easily. Who needs to pay back debts? But while he's in the police bureau, he overhears the other officers talking about the murder. And his brain just cannot take another fucking moment of this tense agitation. And so he passes out again right there in front of a room of cops who are discussing the murder he committed. So just a bit weird. Just a bit suspicious. And when Rodian comes to, he sees the probing and questioning looks in the officers' faces and gets the hell out of there. Because he realizes, ooh, I just made a show of myself at a time when I should probably be laying as low as I possibly can. So Rodian is fully, fully losing his shit at this point with like a kernel of sanity left to his name and fearing that he just tipped off the police because of his fucking fainting spell. He takes all the stolen items to a random empty field that he finds and buries them under this big rock that, you know, theoretically he can find again to come back and get the items and sell them. After he's already buried them, he realizes that um, he literally never looked to see what he stole. Like, his sins are now literally dead and buried. And he doesn't even know what he managed to get out of the whole ordeal. Like how much money was in the purse that he stole? What was he even like? It was like he did the whole thing for nothing. So the whole motivating factor behind this crime was financial and obviously selfishness and pride and ego and all those good things, whatever. But he didn't even look through the shit that he stole from the two people that he killed for. So, oh my, with a brain that's like practically melting with each step that he takes, he decides because, you know, he has fucking worms for brains at this point, to visit an old friend from his university days, Dmitry Prokofievich Razumikin. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. He is immediately, who immediately, Razumikin, his friend, looks at Rodian and is like, oh my god, you are, like, to put it mildly, unwell. Like, he's clearly looks sick, is acting sick, losing his shit. And Rodian, who doesn't want to cause, like, any more of a ruckus than he already has he just dips and finally makes it back to his apartment and falls into a long prolonged state of delirium like the minute he makes it back um it doesn't end he doesn't emerge from this delirium until several days later and he finds that in that intervening time his friend Razumikin, who he went to go visit had been like taking care of him he tracked him down and he'd be kind of nursing him and all this kind of stuff and um raskolnikov who's still like very feverish at this point he's listening as a conversation between razumikin and the doctor um talk about like the status of the police inv investigation into the murders. so like these murders are being talked about all over town he really can't escape them and he didn't think that through he didn't think a lot through but he didn't think that through specifically when he committed it but he finds out through this conversation between his friend and the doctor that a serf called mikulka 
I don't know the full name, um, uh, who was working in the neighboring like apartment at the time was detained and is being questioned. And all of the old women's clients, the old pawnbrokers clients are now being interviewed. So this is all going on. Like the minute he comes out of his stupor, he's kind of thrust right back into worrying about the crime that he just committed and being a little bit kind of freaked out by that. Um, But this whole conversation is interrupted by the arrival of Luzine or Piotr, who was Donia's fiance. So Piotr was the um, lawyer who said he wants to only marry poor girls so that they'll always be indebted to him. He came to find Raskolnikov to kind of like introduce himself as his sister's fiance and all that kind of stuff. But Raskolnikov, who already has like these preconceived notions about how awful and terrible Pyotr is, deliberately insults him um, and kicks him the fuck out of his house. He's like, get out of here. And at this point, he's just kind of like, everybody get the fuck out. Like he tells everybody to leave, like get out of my place. I need to be alone, blah, blah, blah. And he himself sneaks out of his apartment because he's also being (laughs) tracked down by his landlord, like that police summons, like he hasn't paid the rent for the apartment so like all these people are looking for him for like all different reasons whatever he's fully fucking losing it and up against the ropes so he sneaks out and he starts kind of like combing around the city looking for the news of the murder and it's almost like he wants to be like suspected and to be caught because he kind of just keeps drawing attention to himself and to like his own part in it and all this kind of stuff and He encounters a police official who was there when he fainted at the police station and kind of mocks this guy like about like not speaking about his suspicions. He's like he is poking the motherfucking bear. And as if to make it any worse, he decides to return to the scene of the crime and relive the sensations that he experienced when committing this murder. Now, this like really pisses off all the people that are in there like um that they're in the apartment building they're kind of all like what the fuck is this guy doing because he just showed up and he's like asking very casual questions about the murder and like so they like we should all go to the police station together and we should talk about it like he's being real fucking weird like for a guy that literally just killed these two women the day before he is like mm, stepping in his shit way too much so he himself is now at this point where he's like should I just turn myself in? Like, are they going to find me? Because like, I'm not one, I'm not hiding myself. And two, I feel like no matter what, I'm going to get caught. So he's kind of contemplating as he's roaming the streets, whether or not to confess to this crime. And as he's doing that, he runs into Marmeladov, that old drunkard guy who dumped all his shit on him at the bar about his daughter, Sonia, who is selling her body to um, take care of the family. He sees Marmeladov who had just been struck like really badly, pretty much mortally by a carriage. And so he rushes over there. He tries to help him and he realizes there's probably no help because he's kind of too far gone. And so he's, he does his best to take the man back to his family's apartment so that at least he can be taken care of by the family or any of that, whatever. Marmeladov calls out, to Sonia, his daughter, to forgive him of his sins and forgive him of his follies and forgive him for making her become a sex worker, essentially, um, and then dies in his daughter's arms. So I just, this is a sidebar. I love the fucking dramatics of the 1800s. I just, it, everybody's fainting. Everybody's dying in people's arms. Everybody's exclaiming their sins. I just love it. It's so fun. Anyway, 
Raskolnikov is just there. He kind of watches this whole thing go down of like the guy dying and like asking for his daughter's forgiveness and then just fucking kaputting right in her arms. And so using money that his mother had sent to him in that letter she sent the day before to kind of help him get along, it's his very last 25 rubles. He gives it to Marmeladov's wife who has consumption. She's like sickly, whatever. Uh, Katerina Ivanova is her name. He gives the last of his money away to this widow and says it is this like repayment of a debt to his friend. Um, so as he leaves the um, Marmeladov household, he's kind of feeling like renewed in a sense that like, hey, yeah, I killed someone yesterday, but today... I gave every last penny I had to somebody who lost somebody. So this is what I'm talking about when I say that Rodian Raskolnikov is so confusing and like dichotomous in a way that is just like I've never really seen before. Like how is he a murderous maniac in one minute and then like a charitable nice guy the next? It's just so it's awesome and crazy and weird. Anyway, he decides he's going to call on Razumikin, the friend that helped him out. And they go back to... um rodian's apartment together and upon entering the apartment uh, raskolnikov is like oh what the fuck because his mother and his sister are they decided to come to saint petersburg they're like we had to see you we just arrived in saint petersburg and we're so happy to see you and all this kind of stuff and raskolnikov is like aha and passes the fuck out again so if you were keeping track i believe it's like the third time our boy rodian has just like eyes at the back of his head dropped to the ground but his mother and his sister's arrival it's just, I think, to to him at this point, is like, he can't afford to think about these other two people on his conscious and have them, like, literally physically in front of him. So his brain just says, yeah, no, we're shutting down. And he passes out. And that is the end of part two of our story. All right, so part three begins with our boy Raskolnikov again, passed out, and Razumikin, again, kind of taking care of him and um, tending to his needs. And while he's there, Razumikin, the friend, kind of manages to convince um, Raskolnikov's mother and sister to go back to their own apartment. And he goes with them, even though he's kind of really drunk because they were like hanging out before they came to the apartment and saw them. And he, Razumikin, is like overwhelmed by Donya's beauty. He kind of like immediately falls for Donya at this moment. And so um, they all three leave Raskolnikov alone in his apartment. When they return the next morning, um, Raskolnikov has obviously improved like physically, but it's very apparent that he's still got a lot going on mentally. He's just like kind of not really there, a little bit checked out, very distracted and kind of like forcing himself to endure this conversation and endure this meeting and whatever. While this is all going on, talking to his mother and sister, he, Raskolnikov, demands that Donya break off her engagement with Piotr because um he hates him pretty much and like all any other reason um he says like, don't don't marry Piotr that's just like don't do that blah 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 but Donia's like no my motives for doing this are fair and right I don't want to be fucking creeped out by Svidigailov and we need money and we need stability in our life you can't tell me what to do all this kind of stuff blah 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 and the mom at this point is she gets a letter from Piotr who's like, I never want to see your son again. Because when he showed up, Raskolnikov like insulted him and kicked him out because he hated him. And so Piotr, the lawyer's like, yeah, I don't ever want to be in the same room as him. Um, so he cannot be present at any future meetings between us ever again. And he also 
totally snitches on Raskolnikov and tells his mother that he saw him give away the 25 rubles to a single woman of ill repute, um, which was Sonia, because she's a sex worker. So he tells on Raskolnikov and he says, I never want to see him again and all this kind of stuff. And Donya, who I love Donya, she's like, y'all are acting like fucking idiots. I don't care. There's going to be a meeting and you, Piotr, my uh, fiance, I just lost the word, and you, Raskolnikov, my brother, are both going to be present and it has to take place and I don't care what you guys are going to say. And Raskolnikov's like, fine, I will attend that evening, but only if Razumikin comes with me. And so Raskolnikov and Razumikin are like, fine, we can go. We'll see you tonight. But surprise, surprise, who suddenly appears at Raskolnikov's door? None other than Sonia, the woman of quote unquote ill repute, even though she's not. And I absolutely love Sonia. Like, I love Donia. She's awesome. Sonia is my heart and soul. I fucking love her. I would die for her. She appears at the door and she's kind of like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to like intrude, but like you gave me your address last night when you left the money and I just wanted to come and invite you to attend my father's funeral because like you helped us out in his last moments, all this kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. So as she leaves, Raskolnikov's like, wait, I give me your address. I will come and I will visit you soon. Like, don't come back and look for me, all this kind of stuff. I'll come to you. Whatever. So... At this point, Raskolnikov's kind of like, I'm not going to be able to avoid dealing with the fallout of this crime. Like, I'm probably going to get interrogated and interviewed. So I'm going to get one step ahead of that. And he asked Razumikin to take him to see the newly appointed detective who was investigating the murders, a man named Porfiry Petrovich. And upon meeting, Raskolnikov was like, oh, no, he knows I did it. Like, he can tell right away that Porphyry knows he's the murderer. And Porphyry, who was just kind of discussing the case with that one cop that Raskolnikov mocked earlier. <laughs> Raskolnikov's such an idiot. He kind of adopts this, like, very ironic tone during the conversation. This very knowing tone. Like, you know, he's holding back the cards that he knows he can play at some point. And this kind of, like, gets way under Raskolnikov's skin because Raskolnikov being the law student that he was, you know, he's like educated. He didn't finish law school, but he has like an educated-esque mind. And he has written a few articles in his time about random things. And one of those articles is called On Crime. And in that article, he suggests that theme that we mentioned earlier about how Men of genius and of um, benediction and good things have a right to kind of, quote unquote, step across legal or moral boundaries, as long as those boundaries are only an obstruction to like the success of that man. So like, if you're a good person, if you're like a, a, a genius, and you do something bad, it's okay, as long as that is allowing you to do better in the meantime, which we already discussed is fucking false. But Raskolnikov is like, no, no, no. I stand by my ideals, defends himself skillfully, but is very alarmed and really fucking pissed off at like Porphyry's very insinuating tone. Like you mentioned this in your article and it seems like you also may have killed someone like kind of putting two and two together without necessarily putting two and two together. And so at this point they decide, yeah, an appointment is going to be made tomorrow. Come in for an interview. Um, this is like... <laughs> Raskolnikov's worst fucking nightmare, but 
he leaves um Razumikin and his mother and sister he's like I gotta be alone you guys gotta go go back to your own apartments leave me alone shit's like kind of hitting the fan for him at this point whatever and on the return to his own building he sees this like old weird random guy who's like making inquiries about him he's like asking around for Raskolnikov asking about his day all this kind of stuff and Raskolnikov tries to find out like what he wants and like what he's doing but the but the the guy like has only said one word and that's murderer and then he walks off so Raskolnikov's like what the fuck freaking out like scared shitless he goes back to his room locks himself up and he's like overanalyzing and overthinking everything up until this point now and then finally falls asleep but when he wakes up in the next morning because it just never ends for our boy Raskolnikov when he wakes up the next morning there's another random ass man outside but he's a little bit more put together a little more aristocratic nice looking and the man politely introduces himself as Arkady Ivanovich Svridigailov aka the guy pursuing Raskolnikov's sister. He just showed up at St. Petersburg too, baby. And that is the end of part three. So part four opens up with this kind of like conversation between Svridigailov and Raskolnikov. Svridigailov's kind of just like, you know, very amiable, just kind of all over the place, speaking, speaking, speaking. Raskolnikov's just like very like terse interjections to this conversation it's not an ebb and flow it's very one-sided and through this conversation Svridigailov claims that he's no longer um seeking any romantic connection with Donia and that he wants like even though he doesn't want to be with her he doesn't want her to marry Luzine so he's trying to stop her from marrying Pyotr the um the lawyer um and offers her donya 10,000 rubles which is like dude why would you do that Raskolnikov is of the same mindset and he's like no I'm not going to let her take that money and I'm not going to let you see her because you're a fucking creep and she all she does is talk about how she doesn't want to be around you but Svidigailov mentions his wife which <laughs> I forgot to mention that he was married the guy that she was a governess for, that Donia was a governess for, it was a guy. He had a wife. Like, he was married and he was still creeping on Donia, which is another reason why she had to leave. But the wife, ooh, unexpectedly dies. Hmm. Don't like that. And so, the wife supposedly left 3,000 rubles to Donia in her will. So, as of right now, at the end of this conversation, there is a possibility that Donia could walk away with 13,000 rubles if she does not marry Piotr. And that's just like this double edged sword because it's all coming from Svridigailov, who is definitely doing things not from the kindness of his heart necessarily. So, um, uh, that night, because he's because Raskolnikov is meeting with his sister and his mother and Lu, and uh, Pyotr, even though they, the two men don't want to be in the same room as, as each other, they finally do, you know, whatever. So when he gets there, Raskolnikov tells them immediately about Svridigailov and um, his just like awful character and like the fact that he's in St. Petersburg and that his wife unexpectedly died and that 3,000 rubles were left to Donia and all this kind of stuff. Um, and 
Donya's like, okay, we got to figure all this out. But the whole time, Pyotr like can't even give a shit about Svetogaylov because he's like, why do you want me to fix things with your brother? Like he's pissed at Donya because Donya wants them to have like a cordial relationship because she plans on fucking marrying him and she wants him to be like nice to her brother. So he's getting real like pissed. And Raskolnikov's like, you know, our boy has like no impulse control. He's also getting pissed because Pyotr is kind of just like talking open shit to him right in this room. And and uh, Raskolnikov's like, hey, man, why did you like throw those implications and all that slander at me in that letter you wrote to my mom? And Pyotr is like, oh, you want to bring that up? And he goes full on just becoming extremely reckless and explosive and just really showing what kind of like how much of a piece of shit he really is. Like he just could not control his anger. And he, Pyotr thinks that he's better than all of them because he's richer and more successful, quote unquote, than this whole family. And so Donia is like, oh, fuck no. You can leave and never come back. So, whoa. Donia literally breaks off the marriage with Pyotr. And now all of a sudden she is free and has um significant capital to her name if she takes up Sergey Love's like pr- proposition, that kind of thing. And so the whole family kind of like really excitedly is like, oh my God, we can like live a normal life because we're going to have money and we're not going to be fucking broke as shit and all this kind of stuff. But Raskolnikov, because, you know, homeboy doesn't know how to be happy and he doesn't know how to take things as it comes. He just like gets up all of a sudden and he's like, I have to go. I have to leave. You'll probably never see me again. Goodbye. You, Razumikin. I need you to take care of them for the rest of their life. Goodbye. And he leaves. And all this dramatics. Like, it, it literally came out of nowhere. And his mom and his sister are like, wait, what What do you mean? We're never going to see you again. Like, blah, 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 blah. Partially, like, Raskolnikov, A, probably thinks he's going to get caught anytime soon. And B, like, can't handle that fact that, like, Donia is still providing for the family, even though she doesn't have to give up the rest of her life. And she's like a more stable, reliable person in the family than he ever will be, even though he's the man of the family, you know, those kinds of things. So after he leaves, he proceeds to Sonia's place and she's so happy. She's like, yay, I'm glad that you're here, but you're kind of acting fucking crazy because he just came off of this huge like fight and blowout that happened with his family and with all this other kind of stuff. and. Um, he starts asking Sonia kind of all these questions about her situation and like her mother and the children and how she's like having to take care of them and all this kind of stuff. And through their conversations, he realizes that Sonia, the only reason she's really able to like get up every day and live her life is her love and faith in God. She is extremely pious. This is the thing that keeps her breathing and living every goddamn day. And she she tells Raskolnikov that she was actually friends with the half-sister that was murdered, like the pawnbroker's half-sister that was murdered. They were actually friends. And that the half-sister was the one that gave Sonia a cross and a copy of um the gospels and is like kind of a influential character in Sonia's religiousness and, and piousness. And so like Raskolnikov's like, well, fuck. Cause he loves, he's like kind of like very intrigued by Sonia. And so learning this, he like realizes that he inadvertently caused her pain that he did, would not have wanted to. And so he appeases her and lets her kind of read out 
this um, the story of the raising of Lazarus from the Gospel of John, and she's just like a passion explodes out of her. And he sees that like all of her fire and intensity is a raw is a revolved around God and the church and his fascination with her, which like truthfully began like the minute he heard his he heard her father speaking of her in the bar, just increases. And in that moment, he decides we have to face our futures together. We are meant to face the futures together. And he's like, I have to go, but I will come back tomorrow and I will tell you who killed your friend, the half-sister. I'll tell you that. And so he leaves, but when he leaves Sonia, he goes to present himself for his interview with um, Porphyry, the investigator, and Porphyry just picks up kind of right where he leaves off, left off with like being a little insinuating and like, you know, provoking him and just kind of having this very like ironic tone with the way that he's talking to Raskolnikov, not like making a direct accusation of him, but, you know, kind of pretty much accusing him of it. And Raskolnikov is like reaching this fucking high fever pitch of anger at this point and loses it fully when Porphyry kind of hints that he has a little surprise for Raskolnikov hidden behind a partition in the office. But the surprise is unable to be revealed because there's this huge commotion going on outside. And a young man bursts in, followed by a bunch of police, and he, to everybody's fucking astonishment, decides to loudly and profoundly confess to the murders. This random man who's like a painter. He's like a nobody in our story, pretty much. Porphyry is like... <laughs> fucking pissed because he knows that Raskolnikov did it and he's like no this is not a true confession he doesn't believe the confession but he has to let Raskolnikov go because this other guy confessed to the murders so Raskolnikov again by the skin of his motherfucking teeth escapes getting arrested and runs back to his room when he is fucking horrified to find that that old man that was asking about him from the night before is there at his door but the man like is kind of like mm sorry, I'm going to ask for forgiveness because like he was supposed to be the little surprise that Porphyry had in store for Raskolnikov because the guy that was asking questions was one of the people that was in the apartment when Raskolnikov came back to like relive the murder and he reported Raskolnikov to the police because he was acting so weird that day that he went and reported his behavior and Porphyry's like, hell yes, I've got my boy now. But then that guy came and confessed. So now... The guy who like tattled on Raskolnikov feels like he made a mistake and he feels bad. So he's going to him to ask for like for forgiveness and all this kind of stuff. And Raskolnikov's like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. So again, our boy, he comes up to that line of like, I'm about to get fucked over so bad. My life's about to be over. It's all coming to an end. And again, is pulled back by fate and by some other outside whatever. And he is saved from Porphyry's clutches and from having to really um, repent for the crime that he committed. And that is the end of part four. Okay, I promise we are steadily reaching the end of our story, but part five opens up with Raskolnikov attending um, not the funeral of Marmeladov, that guy from the bar that got hit by the cart and then died, but the post-funeral banquet at um, Katerina Ivanova, who is the widow's apartment. So he's there with, this is Sonia's family, you know. He's there with her family, but the atmosphere of this banquet is 
real fucked and it just gets more messed up like because the widow Katerina is beyond drunk and mad and everybody else is also getting real drunk and she just kind of starts like verbally attacking her landlady and with all this chaos like going on nobody really notices that all of a sudden Luzine Pyodor the Pyodor Luzine is his name I just did it backwards uh the lawyer just shows up and he's like a hundred ruble banknote has disappeared from my apartment at the exact time that you Sonia were there visiting me because he had invited Sonia um to you know make a small donation apparently even though like what he literally told on Raskolnikov for giving her money in the first place and called her an improper woman but yes yeah, supposedly he's going to give her a small donation and he says that a hundred banknote a hundred ruble banknote went missing while she was there Sonia's like oh my god absolutely not I did not steal your money all this kind of stuff but uh Piotr was like no you did I know you did I demand that someone searches her right now blah 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 fucking drunk half mad pissed sick and widowed Katerina Ivanova Sonia's mom just goes to town abusing Luzine and saying like how dare you come in here and, and make these accusations against my daughter and all this kind of stuff and so she to prove the innocence of her daughter she empties Sonia's pockets but lo and behold a folded up 100 ruble note does indeed fly out of one of Sonia's pockets and the whole room turns on Sonia they're pissed they're freaking out Luzine starts like yelling at her chastising her and all this kind of stuff the landlady's like you're a bunch of thieves you're all fucking crazy get the hell out of my house but Luzine's roommate which I'm not even gonna try to pronounce this guy's name he shows up now so this is like a shit show of a funeral everybody's yelling everybody's drunk everybody's accusing people of something everyone's getting kicked out of their fucking apartments and the roommate shows up and he's like wait 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 I saw you Pyodor put that $100 100 ruble note I saw you slip it right into Sonia's pockets as she was leaving but he didn't say anything because he thought that that Piotr was being nice and that he was trying to give her the money without making her feel like a charity case but in reality he wanted to you know get back at Raskolnikov for like embarrassing him and pretty much having his engagement ended because of like the shit that he said and because of the accusations um that Pyotr made when it came to Sonia and so Raskolnikov steps in he's like yeah and this is why he did it and lists off all the reason and so everyone is like oh well then fuck you Pyotr and they all turn on Pyotr now so Pyotr is discredited but Sonia is like fucking traumatized because all of a sudden she had mob anger like directed at her and she was accused of stealing and her dad just got fucking killed like this poor girl's going through it and she's like oh my god and runs out of the apartment Raskolnikov obviously follows her because his only real connection to this family at this point is Sonia more so than Marmeladov ever was um back at her room Sonia's room Raskolnikov kind of talks about how like easy it would have been for Pyotr to just like destroy her whole life and her whole reputation and also the lives of her family like her mother and her siblings and saying all this stuff as in like these people with all the connections and power and money in the world like they can do whatever they want to us and they don't even care and all this kind of stuff and he's just kind of like trying to butter her up pretty much to finally finally confess to the murder of the pawnbroker and her half-sister who 
remember the half sister was actually Sonia's friend. So he can he confesses to the murders and um while he's doing it, he tries to like explain himself and explain his motives and that whole reasoning behind like bad like a bad act being justified for a good reason and all this kind of stuff. And um Sonia is like horrified. I mean, she's horrified because this guy that she's kind of had this weird connection with just confessed to killing two people, one of which being her friend. But then she's also horrified by like Raskolnikov has been just like eating away at himself since this crime was committed in like the most self-destructive, bizarre ways. Like he clearly wants to like get this like burden of sin and crime off of himself. And so Sonia tells him like, you have to go to the police, just like turn yourself in. Even if you go to jail, at least your soul will be like repented from you confessing to the crime. And so while this conversation is happening, that one roommate that showed up to claim that Pyotr had like framed Sonia, he shows up and he's like, hey, the landlady kicked out your mom and the whole family and she's like gone full blown cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They find her in the street surrounded by people completely fucking crazy, completely insane. And she's trying to force the remaining children of the family to like street perform for money. It's like the mom has lost it. Her sanity is gone. And she's also like very sick, remember? So she's practically about to die, not just from her illness, but now from the madness that she's experienced. So they finally managed to wrangle up the family and wrangle up Sonia's mom and bring her back to Sonia's room um, where she's extremely distraught and raving and dies. Oh, so Sonia is now orphaned. The mother just dies of like, like honestly a broken heart losing her mind all that kind of stuff um but to Raskolnikov's surprise to fucking everybody's surprise to my surprise when i read it Svridigailov, the fucking creepo weirdo who wanted donia he suddenly shows up and he's like you know what instead of giving donia the ten thousand rubles um i'm just gonna take it and i'm gonna make funeral arrangements and then i'm going to make sure that all of these kids get put in good orphanages and Raskolnikov's like what the fuck why would you do that like what are your motives here that's just like seems like it wouldn't be something you would want to do and Svridigailov just starts laughing and decides to reply with a direct quote of the same exact reasoning for why Raskolnikov committed the murders he did because Svridigailov little did we know was renting the rooms right next to Sonia and heard the whole thing he heard the whole confession. So Svridigailov knows now that Raskolnikov had killed these two women. And he uses the same justification for what he's doing to help out the family. But like kind of flipped on its head, you know. But, oh my god! So now two people know the truth. One of which, like Sonia wouldn't have done anything to him. But like Svridigailov's kind of like this antagonistic guy to Raskolnikov. And now he knows his secret. <sighs> and that is how part five ends. Okay, so part six, and the final part, besides the epilogue, which is short and sweet. Part six begins now with Svridigailov in full uh, awareness of Raskolnikov killing the two women. Um, so the only two people who know now are Sonia and Svridigailov. And Raskolnikov hears that Donia, his sister, has become super troubled and distant after she received a letter from someone. And they don't know who it is, but the letter contains this line that says, like, 
that they know her brother's secret, quote unquote. Who, at the same time that Raskolnikov's hearing all this, he also hears, um, to his astonishment, that Porphyry, the detective, no longer suspects him of the murders. So as soon as Raskolnikov is about to set out um, to find Svridigailov, who is now pretty much the only person that will get him arrested at this point because if the investigator doesn't think that he's the murderer then who else is gonna like send him to jail it's not gonna be sonia so like spread to the last puzzle piece porphyry himself appears and kind of like asks to chat so they're chatting with skolnikov and porphyry are chatting throughout the whole book they've had this very awesome cat and mouse like relationship with each other and it's kind of coming to this conclusion now and porphyry kind of apologizes for his like teasing behavior before and kind of like wants to explain why and all this kind of stuff that's you know like kind of find closure with him um weirdly Raskolnikov kind of like freaks out because he's like oh my god he doesn't think that I'm the murderer he thinks I'm innocent and he like doesn't know what to do about that because he spent so much time trying to run away from Porphyry that he's like what the hell um but he here he learns that Porphyry is his his attitude change isn't because like he thinks that he's no longer guilty he's just he kind of has like a genuine respect for Raskolnikov um uh, you know like for his reasonings and his background like all the things that led him to this moment he just like uh, is a little bit more understanding but he says like with absolute certainty that I know you are the murderer and I will be arresting you soon but if you want to make it easier on yourself and myself confess to me. Raskolnikov denies the confession, denies the guilt, chooses to continue his internal and external struggle with with the shame and the sin and all this kind of stuff. So Raskolnikov is a little bit confused now because he kind of knows that shit's about to go down, but at the same time, that was like a normal, pretty nice conversation he just had with Porphyry, whatever. And he finally finds Fridigailov at an inn and warns him against like going to Donya and telling Donya everything. But it turns out that Svridigailov uh, has in fact already arranged to meet Donya and threatens Raskolnikov with going to the police and all this stuff. But Raskolnikov is like, I don't care. I'm about to be arrested anyway. So like, who cares? He follows Svridigailov around when he leaves. And when he finally decides that he's done following Svridigailov, he turns to go back home and sees Donya, who had been following both of them this whole time. And she is like, okay, you know what? I'm tired of all these people like making moves around me and through me and me not being a part of it. So she herself goes and approaches Svridigailov and demands to know what he meant about his her brother's secret. So we find out that Svridigailov had written a letter, that letter to Donia saying, hey, I know your brother's secret, blah, 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 blah. And um, he's like, okay, let's talk. Come to my rooms all this kind of stuff. She reluctantly goes and he reveals that he had overheard this murder confession. And he's like, hey, like your brother's a fucking psycho murderer and I'm going to turn him into the police unless you finally be mine. Because of course he wants romantic relationships with Donia. He lied to Raskolnikov when he said he was over her. And so he tries to use this as blackmail to get her to be with him, which is like, what a great way to start any relationship, right? Donia, however, badass Donia, she has a gun because she's awesome and she's not an idiot. And she fires at Svridigailov, but just, just barely misses him. And Svridigailov in like 
uh, I think one of the fucking most awesome scenes in the whole book. He just very calmly, very gently says, reload that gun and try again. And she's like freaked out by that because like at this point, he is so, Sverda Galov is like so upset that she literally would rather kill him than be with him. So he's like, kill me. Like, I don't care. I don't, I don't fucking care. You can kill me. And she, Donia, who is not a murderer like her brother, throws the gun to the side and just like crushes for the gay love's heart with her pure fucking hatred for him and tells him and and then she leaves she's like i'm out of here so she tried to kill him but couldn't be done and for the gay love is like beyond heartbroken and depressed at this point he finds sonia the the um woman of ill repute remember because i know their names are really similar so i want to keep like <laughs> reiterating that he finds sonia whose mother and father were the ones that just died and now all of her and her siblings are orphans and he discusses the arrangements that are needed for her siblings and the orphanages he gives her three thousand rubles saying that she's going to need it because raskolnikov's going to fucking jail and they're going to send his ass to siberia and if she thinks that if she wants to go follow raskolnikov to siberia she's gonna need some help getting there and so he checks into some nasty, miserable little hotel and the following morning goes to a public place and commits suicide. Oh, you knew the suicide had to show up in an 1800s book. Come on now. It's a staple of these stories. So Svridigailov, our creepy old man, he offs himself because Donia won't love him. Raskolnikov now says, like, he knows his time is up. Whether he goes and turns himself in, or Porfrey comes and arrests him, whatever the case is, or Svridigailov turns him in, it doesn't matter. He knows this is the end. So he goes, and he says an awful, painful goodbye to his mother, but he just, he can't tell her the truth. It's just too much for him to confess to his own mother that he's a murderer. So she doesn't know. But Donia is waiting for him in his room, and he tells her that I'm going to the police to confess the murders. And she's like, okay, I mean, I can't stop you. you, you I mean, if you did it, you did it. Go confess the murder. So he's on his way to go confess and turn himself in. And he stops at Sonia's place on the way and lets her know I'm going to do this and turn myself in. I can't handle this anymore. This chase, this running, all of this, I'm done. I'm turning myself in. She gives him a crucifix because remember, she's super religious and, you know, like, this will help you get through the pain, the internal struggle that he's going through and all this stuff. So Raskolnikov makes it to the police station and on um, upon entering the police station, he learns of Svridigailov's suicide. So he realizes like, oh, well, there's one last person who's not going to be able to turn me in. And he almost decides to like change his mind. Like he's like, well, fuck, why should I turn myself in? He even turns around and leaves the building. But upon leaving the building, he sees Sonia, who had followed him the whole way to the police station, looking at him in just like heartbroken despair. And he decides, fuck it. And he turns around, goes back to the police station, and makes a full and final confession of the murders. Oh my gosh. And now all that's left is the epilogue. And because of the confession and all its fullness and frankness, he, um, even though somebody else said you know whatever Raskol like um com uh, why did i just lose the word confessed confessed to the murder remember that other guy did it so raskolnikov coming up and confessing it you know he's only end up sentenced to about eight years of jail time so he is shipped off to siberia um while he's in jail 
Donia, his sister, and Razumikin, his friend, marry, and they plan to move to Siberia. But unfortunately, Raskolnikov's mother falls ill and dies, and so they stay. And Sonia instead follows Raskolnikov to Siberia. Um, But the whole time they're there, he's just kind of like really hostile towards her because he... He's like, I don't deserve your sympathy. I don't deserve you coming around and trying to like help me get through this like morality and all this kind of stuff. Like I am so awful and all this kind of stuff. He's just feeling so guilty and he's so weak and he doesn't think that he should have Sonia in his life in any way. And it's only after his time in prison that like he comes out of prison and Sonia's continuous loving influence and like her praying for him and helping him to find his like morality again, that he comes out a moral person and they end up together. He comes out of jail and Sonia and Raskolnikov finish the story in love and together. And it's such a heartwarming ending to a book that is literally not heartwarming in any way, shape or form it was so unexpected the ending of this book that I like, I I mean, I like kind of shed a tear because I was like, Oh my, like this man Raskolnikov is someone who spends every moment of this book trying to make you like not be on his side pretty much. Cause he makes so many mistakes. He does so many awful things, but for even him to make this full turn through love and understanding and compassion and to come out on the other side, a better and more loving person. I mean, oh my God, I just wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting that kind of like optimism from a book that was so nihilistic for so long. And it just, oh, it just struck such a hard chord with me. And I absolutely freaking loved this book. That was the epilogue. That was the ending of our book, Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Whew, I I mean, I knew that was going to be a long one, but dang, y'all, that was about an hour-long episode. I It had to be. This book was so meaty. The themes were so meaty. There was just so much that I had to make sure was done properly to, like, really get the story across. But, wow, I am so glad I got to talk about this book. From the minute I read and finished this book, I knew I would be talking about it because while I don't think I got this point across as much in my um, retelling of the story, this book is, like, insanely relatable to today doesn't seem like it would be from what i've said so far but when raskolnikov goes on his like internal diatribes and monologues i swear the amount of times i've had to step back and be like i have literally heard somebody on the internet have this exact same take it's just the best feeling i love it i talk about it all the time on this podcast the feeling of connection through time and space with books that were written this book was written 1867 and the fact that I can copy and paste direct quotes and feelings that make sense in 2022, that's fucking awesome. And it's also amazing writing. Fyodor Dostoevsky is, you may not have heard of him, but if you're any kind of like classic lit or big reader type of person, Fyodor Dostoevsky is like kind of this must read author of literature for a perfectly good reason. And I would be remiss if I didn't read you some of his words because, oh my God, when I read this quote, I'm not a big quote person on this podcast, but when I read this quote, goosebumps. Because once you hear it, there's probably going to be one thing that pops into your mind undeniably. So, quote, 
he dreamt that the whole world was condemned to a terrible, strange new plague that had come to Europe from the depths of Asia. Everyone was to be destroyed except a few chosen ones. Some sort of new microbe was attacking people's bodies, but these microbes were endowed with intelligence and will. Men attacked by them became instantly furious and mad, but never had men considered themselves so intellectual and so completely in possession of the truth as these sufferers. Never had they considered their decisions, their scientific conclusions, their moral convictions so infallible. Whole villages, whole towns, and peoples were driven mad by the infection. Everyone was excited and did not understand one another. Each thought that he alone had the truth and was wretched looking at the others, beat himself on the breast, wept and wrung his hands. They did not know how to judge and could not agree what to consider evil and what good. They did not know who to blame, who to justify. End quote. Um, I'm just going to say COVID-19, <laughs> the pandemic. Holy crap. I was like kind of scared and mind blown when I read that because, oh my God, it's like so eloquently portraying what is literally happening. What I mean, not so much maybe right now, but like what was literally happening through this whole pan- It was just insane. Like this book was written like 150 years ago. Like, oh, it's just so awesome. So if that little taste and if my long <laughs> explanation of the book gave you maybe like an urge to read it, be patient. It's a long one. But please check out the book Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. It is like a classic of all classics and one of my just fucking favorite books I've read in a long time. It is so emotional. It is so good and complex and convoluted and interesting and introspective. Uh, It's everything you want out of literature and it's everything you want out of classic literature especially. So there we go, guys. Another episode. Oh, my God. I've missed you. I've missed talking to you guys. It's been so nice to come back and I'll have to. I say this all the time, but I think that I'm going to try to do a model of at least one episode per month. I was kind of naturally doing that on my own looking back, but I missed February, but it's a shorty. So kind of, you know, cut me some slack on that one. But I'm going to try to hit one episode per month. If you want to know when they drop, follow me on my socials. You can find my um, podcast Instagram at read, read, read your heart out three reads. My Instagram is Ange Suris. Follow me, DM me, give me a book recommendation. Tell me what you liked. Tell me what maybe you didn't like. Like, let me know what your guys' thoughts are. I'm always dying to hear from you and um, always ready to hear what you guys have to say. So in the meantime, do what y'all always do. Stay safe out there no matter where you are in the world, especially to my international listeners and my European listeners. I know lots of things are very scary and up in the air right now. So please stay safe. Treat people with kindness and, of course, read your heart out.